This morning's lesson is a kind of an old-fashioned lesson. Uh, it's a very to-the-point lesson. Um, <clears throat> it's a type of lesson that we need to be reminded of occasionally. And let me go ahead and say at the onset of this lesson, uh, we're not having this lesson today because there uh, is anybody particular in mind that I'm thinking of. Because oftentimes when you have a lesson like this, they will, somebody will think in their mind, well, I wonder if I did something like that, or he heard me say something like that. Uh, that's not what the purpose of this lesson is. It's not to cast blame on anyone or single out anyone. It's just every now and then we need a lesson on these things because of the fact uh, that the world that we live in and because we have young people who are growing up that need to be taught certain things, and we always want to be the very best Christians that we can be. So... Uh, don't think at any time in the lesson when something's brought up that uh, I have somebody particular in mind. And even if you're guilty of some of these things, don't think it's because I uh, know you're guilty of such things, because that's not the case. I have nobody in mind whatsoever or have any clue about if you're guilty of any of these things. This is just some things that need to be taught from time to time. But I want to begin the lesson by going back to a point in time in history Back in the time of, uh, of our country, uh, back during the Revolutionary War, in fact, I want to go all the way back to 1776, and we were fighting the Revolutionary War, as I said, and of course there was a general by the name of George Washington, and he noticed there was something going on among the troops that he wanted to put a stop to, and so he sent out an order in the form of a letter to all of his officers to make sure that this was brought to an end. And you can find this letter on the internet. It's pretty well known. But the letter went like this. The general is sorry to be informed that the foolish and wicked practice of profane cursing and swearing, a vice hitherto little known in our American army, is growing into fashion. He hopes that the officers will, by example as well as influence, Endeavor to check it that both they and the men will reflect that we can little hope of the blessing of heaven on our army if we insult it by our impiety and folly. Added to this, it is a vice so mean and, and low without any temptation that every man of sense and character detests and despises it. Signed, George Washington. Times have changed, hadn't they? Times have changed. We live in a society today where we're constantly um, bombarded by bad language. Uh, it's amazing to me, even on television now, the, the type of language that is allowed to uh, be uh, said and allowed, the things that we're allowed to hear, uh, that just a couple years ago we would be shocked if anybody would say that on television. And even our own leaders of this country, even our politicians sometimes, when they're being interviewed, would use foul language. If you work in uh, a workplace where you're surrounded by a bunch of people, uh, ever, you will hear people use uh, foul language oftentimes. And sometimes um, even some of the people you'll least expect. But our speech has always been a defining of our character. Uh, speech is one way people make a judgment about you and 
about who you really are. Uh, I think most of you will remember how that when Peter was outside the Sanhedrin and there were different people coming up to him and asking him if he was a disciple of Jesus Christ, and he kept denying that he was a disciple of Jesus Christ, thus fulfilling the prophecy that Jesus said about him. But the ultimate way that he convinced them that he was not a disciple of Jesus Christ, that third time that he denied them, and thus putting an end perhaps to the inquiry that were being made, the third time when they came to ask him, are you sure you're not a disciple of Jesus Christ? The Bible tells us that he began to curse. He went back to his old fisherman days, if you will, and started using some old fisherman foul language and cursing to prove without a doubt, no, I'm not a disciple of Jesus Christ. And if you ever want to prove to someone that you're not a disciple of Jesus Christ, just start using bad language. Just start using profane language. And that settles the issue once and for all. The passage that was read for us a few moments ago from James chapter 1 and verse 26, if anyone considers himself religious and yet does not keep a tight rein on his tongue, he deceives himself and his religion is worthless. The quickest way to prove that you're not a Christian is simply use language that you should not use. Don't keep a rein on your tongue and you'll prove to the entire world that you're really not a follower of Jesus Christ. And so this morning we want to spend some time talking about evil speaking. And let me make this disclaimer once again. I'm, the things we're going to talk about today is plain and simple, things that we should all know about, but we need to be reinforced in our knowledge of these things, and certainly our young people need to have this reinforced. And let me also say that this is not because of anything I heard among anybody in this congregation, and it's not because I think anybody is guilty, but sometimes we need to have some lessons taught for our benefit. But as we think about evil speaking, I want us to first of all think about language that Christians should not be guilty of. And obviously the very first thing that comes to mind is taking the Lord's name in vain. Taking the Lord's name in vain is something we've heard a lot, but we maybe don't understand what it means. When you take the Lord's name in vain, you are using the Lord's name in an empty or non-reverent way. The word vain means empty, uh, means useless. It means to take the Lord's name in such a way that it's providing uh, a useless use of it or not using it appropriately. And we, of course, all appreciate what's written in Exodus chapter 20 and verse 7, which is one of the Ten Commandments, where it basically said, Thou shalt not take the Lord's name in vain. And the Jews thought so highly of this particular commandment, they were scared to speak the name of God, and they dare not even write it down, lest somehow or another they would not show it the proper reverence, and so they would use an abbreviated form of his name in order to show that the name of Jehovah should go in a particular place. In other words, they highly respected the Lord's name, or God's name would not use it in any other way other than in a reverent way. And so we need to be very clear, even as we move into the New Testament, that the Bible is very clear that God's name is a holy name. 
that God's name is a name that ought to be held in reverence. It should be never, ever a word that is used as a byword or a curse word or used in a profane way. And obviously, I think that all of us know that here, but at the same time, we need to be reminded from time to time. But another way that a Christian's language is something they should not be guilty of, and that is, as Colossians chapter 3 and verse 8, we should not let filthy language come from our lips. Now, these are words that you don't find in the Bible. These are words that are not commonly cussed words, but these are words that you wouldn't use in polite society and in a group setting among other people. Uh, these are words that are slang words for certain things. These are words that are known as words that you don't say in polite society. And obviously we who are Christians would not want to be guilty at the workplace or any other place where public is gathered and using these particular words in order to uh, put some emphasis on something or show how we feel or, or show what we think about something. There's filthy words that should not come of our, out of our mouth as Christians. But also we should not be guilty of swearing. Now when I was growing up, when someone said, you know, don't be guilty of swearing, I thought about the fact or what they were talking about is not using profanity. We associate profanity with swearing. But when the Bible talks about swearing, it's talking about um, using swearing as a way to prove that you are indeed a truthful person or to emphasize that what you're saying is absolutely the truth. Now, I know in our court system we have to take a judicial oath, and there's not a thing wrong with taking a judicial oath, and there's nothing wrong in, in, in proceedings like that to do that, but when you use this idea of swearing in a flippant way, in a bad kind of way, uh, then you are doing something that the Bible teaches against. For example, Jesus reminds us in Matthew chapter 5, beginning at verse 34, he says, But I tell you, do not swear at all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make even one hair white or black. Simply let your yes be yes and your no, no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. Now Jesus is very clear here that we should not be guilty of swearing in an effort to prove to someone that you are an honest person. Should not use swearing to prove that what you say you really believe in. But instead we need to simply let our yes be yes or our no be no. Notice some particulars in the text. He says, do not swear at all either by heaven. Now when you think about that, how does someone do that? Well, I don't know about you, but when I was growing up, I don't hear that often anymore, uh, but I hear people say something like when something surprises them or they want to emphasize something, they'll say, by heavens. Or maybe they'll say, for heaven's sake. Or maybe they'll say uh, something and relate it to uh, the heavenly realm. Well, think about what you're doing there. You're taking the heavenly realm where God dwells and you're turning it into a byword. You're turning it into an ex exclamation. In fact, Jesus very clearly says we don't want to do this because this is where God's throne is. 
Why would you want to use a place where God dwells, use a place that's a beautiful place that's been prepared for the redeemed of all the ages, why would you want to turn that into a byword and make it into something that is ordinary and vain and empty and useless? And so if someone would come up to you, use this as an example again, and says, um, are you sure you're telling me the truth? You say, by heavens I am, then you've turned something that is very reverent and special into a byword. But another thing that Jesus points out, it says, do not swear by your head. And once again, when you think about this, you're saying, well, what in the world is he uh, talking about? Well, when I was growing up, I said something very foolish sometimes to emphasize that while I was telling, my truth, telling the truth, and it went something like this, I crossed my heart and hoped to die. Folks, that's what Jesus is talking about there. Or somebody's saying, well, if I'm lying, I'm dying. Or someone might say, well, if I'm not telling the truth, may lightning strike me from heaven. If somebody would say that around me, I might move because lightning might strike you from heaven. My point is, and the point that Jesus is making, you need not to add these particular type of things to prove yourself, but you should be a person who is of such integrity that your yes will be yes and your no will be no. People will know your character as such because you are a Christian that you don't need to add some type of emptiness to what you're saying to prove that you're telling the truth, adding some kind of explanation. Swearing that is being talked about in the Bible is doing this very thing. But let's talk about some specific examples that we might be guilty of. Uh, we need to be very careful as we live the Christian life and as we're talking to other people that we don't say things like, my God. This has become so common that people don't even think about what they're saying, but they are taking the name of God and making it a byword. Something surprises them, something, surprise, uh, something scares them, something catches them off guard, or they want to emphasize that some great event has happened, uh, something that makes them happy, and they utter out the words of our Father in heaven. When we think about in the Bible, the last time these words were offered were offered by Jesus Christ on the cross when he said, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? We should not be guilty of taking the Lord's name in vain and making it a part of ordinary speech to express surprise or to prove a point or show that we are startled by something. When we use God's name in an ordinary and vain way and not give it the reverence that it's used, then folks, we are guilty of sin because we have violated the very principle that God's name is to be held in reverence. Another way that we might put this is to say, Oh Lord, or Oh my Lord, you're doing exactly the same thing. And when I hear somebody say these words as a part of speech, to emphasize something or to show surprise or to, to whatever the reason may be, it just tears at my heart. Philippians chapter 2 and verse 10 tells us that at the name of Jesus Christ, every knee should bow. It's not a name that's supposed to be just spoken of lightly, not a name that's supposed to be used in just expressing exclamation or surprise. 
The name of Jesus is the name above every name. And we should hold that name in high esteem. And then you hear sometimes people use the expression hell and the expression damn. The word hell is not a bad word. The word damn is not a bad word. Damn is just a shortened version of damnation, and you find both of these words in the Word of God. They're not bad words, but how we use them can be a very bad way. When we use them as an exclamation, either one of these words, imagine what you're saying. Think about what is actually taking place when you use those particular words. Well, first of all, you're making light of eternal punishment. You're making light of a very terrible place where Satan and his angels are going to spend eternity and a place where the wicked is going to spend eternity. The most horrible, awful place. But yet oftentimes in conversation on television and movies, we'll hear some people say something to the effect that they want their own soul to go to heaven. They want their own soul to go to hell instead of heaven. Or they want somebody else to be damned and go to hell. Think about what that's implying. That you're either wishing upon yourself or you're wishing upon someone else that you want them to go to the worst possible place that has ever been imagined. To say that about yourself or to say that about somebody else is just unthinkable. And we take that which is supposed to be thought of as a place that is terrible and we make it a part of our everyday use and make it irreverent. It's no wonder that there are so many in the world today who don't believe that there's such a place as hell, that there's no such thing as being damned for all eternity. It's because we've made it into such a light and trivial thing that we don't even think about it. Well... Just add something else to this, and this is the part you might not like too much. Some of us would never dream of saying any of the words we have discussed thus far, but there are other ways we may be using the Lord's name in vain. We call these particular words euphemisms. Now, as I was thinking about this and preparing this lesson, I thought, well, there's going to be somebody who says, well, he's heard me say that before. I'm not thinking of anybody whatsoever. And you may have said this in my presence, but if you have, I've already forgotten about it. But there are ways that we take the Lord's name in vain and don't even realize it because it's so common and it's so much a part of our lives and the world that we live in, we don't even think about it. Well, let me give you some euphemisms that we sometimes use. And this is just a few of them. I don't have time to cover all of them. For example, we will say, gee which is a euphemism for Jesus. We'll say gosh, which is a euphemism for God. We'll say by golly, which is a euphemism for by God. We'll say heck or darn or gosh darn. And you can just imagine what those are euphemisms for. My point is simply this, that any replacement word for the real thing doesn't excuse it. A euphemism may sound better in polite society because we would not dare be guilty of using the real words, but when we substitute something else in the place of that, we're still just as guilty of those particular words. All we've done is put a better face on it so it doesn't sound as bad and we don't sound as shocking as if 
someone heard us say the exact words. But we need to always think about what those words mean and where do those words come from. Why did they become a substitute? It's because people did not want to be guilty, so they found a substitute so they could take part, but really they're guilty of the same thing. And here's a lesson that we're going to close with today. When in doubt whether or not you should use a word or not, just remember what Jesus said many, many years ago. He says, but I tell you that men will have to give account on the day of judgment for every careless word they have spoken. When you think about that, it makes you think about the fact that you need to be very careful before you speak. You need to be very careful about what you say because it's not only a reflection of your Christianity, it's not only a reflection of your character, but it's also maybe a reflection about where you're going to spend eternity. I think we as Christians should have a motto. We should have a daily goal that we should always have before us, and it's simply this. From the writer of Psalms, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. If you have a need this morning, we want you to come as together we stand and sing.